Hello and welcome again to the 160th edition of the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that can get you from over here to over there. I am the transportation reporter and the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. It may be only episode 160, Jason. It feels like 500. What? Five. Why does it feel like 500? That's, that, that's usually what you say... Uh, like to your wife, if you're saying we've been married for uh, five years, but it feels like 20. No, I'm just saying we've been putting out so much good content that oh. it feels like we could have fulfilled 500 episodes worth of content ah, for the people. All right, so it was the context I was missing out on. Gotcha. Uh, well, we received another voicemail uh, from the same guy as we did last week. <laughs> well, at least we got one, though. Uh, his name is Greg. And he is offering some more content for the show. And uh, y- you can do the same thing if you like. You can call 303-832-0217. Hold on. What was that number again? 303-832-0217. I, I didn't catch that. 303-832-0217. And you can leave us a message there. Uh, we'll get to his voicemail coming up in just a bit. But he's basically talking about uh, road sign. You know, the messages on the signs above the road and and a suggestion of a good one because we talked about that story a couple weeks ago where we were giving out uh, some of the best road sign safety messages and uh, Greg has one for us. Love suggestions. So we'll talk to uh, or we'll hear from Greg coming up in a little bit. Also today we're going to be doing another edition of the uh, segment called Talk in Traffic. This time we're going to Ohio to talk with John Rudder and John is a traffic anchor, helicopter reporter for News Channel 5 WEWS in Cleveland. He's one of the few remaining helicopter reporters in the country. And it's interesting, his story, because he started as a producer for The Now, which is our afternoon show that runs wow. through scripts, in June of 2015. Six months later, he was on reporting traffic in the morning and then flying in the helicopter, which is a pretty quick jump going from producer to on air especially for that position. So that was interesting. Uh, and he also does a radio show, uh, doing sports talk radio stuff. He does some of that for Cleveland Cleveland Browns stuff. And he also hosts his own podcast. Well, there you go. Um, the the modern-day Michelangelo, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. <laughs> so we'll talk to John about all those things, as well as, obviously, traffic and transportation going on in Cleveland and that'll be coming up in just a little bit. Uh, I want to take you to Marshfield, Wisconsin first. A woman driving along West McMillan Street, she crashed into a toilet that was left in the middle of the road. She stated to police she was distracted by a second toilet that was left in the opposite westbound lane when she crashed into the first toilet. The investigation uh, began, and the officer who was investigating believed the two toilets were left on the road deliberately. As both were upright and intact prior to the collision, i.e., saying that they didn't fall off a truck and were damaged and cracked and crumbled, because usually they're made of porcelain. Did they only find the two toilets? I guess that's all. I, I didn't hear of any third or fourth toilet. I think we can all agree that two toilets remains too many toilets. But at the same time, two toilets in the road would be a difficult amount of toilets to navigate. Yes, in my opinion. That is, you, you could navigate through one, but the second one, well, that, that takes your alternate route right out of the play. I just, so, I just so empathize with this woman who I assume is an older woman who probably has pretty bad eyesight, especially at night, right? This yeah. did happen at night. And so she became so fixated on toilet number one that toilet number two just yeah, popped out of nowhere. Pop, it popped out of nowhere. There it was. Uh, her car was damaged. She had to be towed from the scene. Ugh. She was not injured, thankfully. Uh, but toilets are really not super cheap, so I don't know... They would have to be soiled toilets. I mean, maybe not at the time, but they were obviously used because a new toilet is fairly expensive that you probably don't want to just leave in a street. Right? Here, here is the real question. Have they found the toilet bandit? I don't know. Maybe it came from uh, one of those fixer-uppers. How do you Weird. find the culprit in a case like this? That's one thing that they always say to do whenever you get a new house, a new place, is replace the toilets because then you're, uh, well, then you have your own throne. Mm. It'd probably be a lot cheaper to just replace the seat. Ah, but you do want your own throne, right? I don't know. No, the ones that were that were installed in the one I, the house I bought, were just fine. They do the function that they were designed to do. <laughs> uh, it's really not the best idea to cheat the HOV lane with a fake passenger. But if you decide to do it, 
I have a few tips for you right here. Number one, don't pick something to ride with you that is extinct. Okay. And number two, especially don't pick something that is big, bright, green, and obviously not human. A driver in Federal Way, Washington. I have no idea where that is. It's in Washington. Thank you. He failed on both counts. He was busted for driving in the carpool lane along I-5 alone. Well, I guess he was the only human in the car. He had with him a large stuffed dinosaur in the passenger seat. Washington State Trooper Rick Johnson tweeted out, Even if you have your favorite stuffed animal, it doesn't count as a passenger for the HOV lane. Trooper stopped the car for speeding and the HOV passenger violation. That was his flaw. Speeding. Well, I mean... you. I'm sure the troopers also saw the dinosaur. But the dinosaur is justifiable if you aren't doing the speeding, right? Well, he probably wouldn't have been as noticeable if you weren't speeding. Yes. I'm sure the speeding was the first thing that tipped off the trooper. Did you put that on your list of tips? Don't speed if you're Don't going speed to put a stuffed dinosaur I, I, I'll write, in the passenger. I'll, I'll, I'll write that down Beautiful. right here right now. Okay. Washington has a new HOV law that took effect last summer, allowing troopers to add an additional $200 fine to the base fine of $186 if you are caught using a dummy, a doll, <laughs> or other fake humans to make it appear that an additional person is in the vehicle with you. So you get the 186 plus now the 200 because you're trying to dupe dupe the system. I love that. I feel like it should be a sliding scale tax depending on how ridiculous what you put in the passenger seat is. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. So like a crash test dummy, I think that gets you like a $200 fine. But then if you put Barney in the passenger seat, yeah. that becomes a $10,000 fine. How dare you? Because you're just so dumb that you should, I mean. Yes, and you also besmirch Barney. So you're saying the more creative and crafty and realistic, lifelike dummy that you take with you should be a less, uh, the, the least on the fine uh, amount. Yeah, you know, it, I, that's what I came up with off the top of my head. But now that we're talking about it, I feel like the more lifelike it is, if you get caught, the police should be able to find you more as a bonus for themselves, right? <laughs> well, it's a lot of substantial work that goes into it. So maybe you should get a discount for all the work that you put into faking out the police. It's true. Although in this particular case with the green dinosaur, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of work put into it exactly. at all. So maybe that should be the higher fine. Yes. So absolutely. it actually would uh, maybe... Uh, encourage some folks to really be creative with not just putting a skeleton or a mannequin, but really dressing it up. Yes. yes. Making it look like a real person. Mm -hmm. But those are the kind of fines I'm talking about. If you have good fines, if you have extra fines for, for dumb stuff like that, boom, you're going to have people stop doing it. But how much has he saved over the however many years or, or weeks that he's been doing this? Right, but he probably doesn't view that as savings. He just views that as his right to use the road. So he's going to pay the fine and the toll yep. one way or another. Mm -hmm. All right. A couple weeks ago, American Airlines passenger Wendy Williams. You've probably seen this video all over your Twitter feed or your uh, Facebook uh, The Wendy Williams? The Wendy. No, not the Wendy Williams. No. Not the one that came here when we carried her show. Not the one who has the TV show slash radio show in New York City. <laughs> she came here when we first started airing her show. That lasted for like a year. Yep. She came here as a promotional thing. That's a tall woman. That's a really big, tall woman. And she was wearing heels. She um, seems lovely. She was interesting. Um, she was very outspoken. Mm -hmm. she, I, I, she was saying some inappropriate things on TV that was making, the uh, I think, Kirsten very nervous. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, that was pretty interesting. Amazing. Yeah, it was. It was... You know, it was it, it it happened. Okay. There's a tape out there somewhere, though. I'm sure. Anyway, I'm sure you've seen this video of this woman who was sitting in her seat and she was recording the person, the man behind her in the seat, repeatedly punching the back of her seat because she reclined it. Mm -hmm. it it's gone viral. It's everywhere. You should be able to see it somewhere. Yep. A byproduct of the video has been added fuel to the fire of this debate about whether we should be able to recline our seat or not. Or if you are a a jerk automatically if you recline your seat, even a little bit, even a half recline, a quarter recline, a full recline. Are you a jerk for doing that? 
because it's already so cramped in these uh, in these planes. Uh, are you a jerk for doing that? If they don't want you to recline the seats, they shouldn't give you the option. There are plenty of airlines that just don't give you the option. That is true. Why are we even having Spirit, the conversation? Frontier, right? I, just Southwest. I'll be in a Southwest flight soon. I, Southwest, I believe, does give you the option to recline, but I'm not. I don't quote me on that. I'll be taking a couple of different Southwest flights. One to Oklahoma City for our trip to Enid, Oklahoma, for the regional baton twirling competition. Beautiful. That's in June. And then in July, we'll be traveling to Stockton, California, flying to Sacramento for the uh, Nationals in Stockton. And then we'll be driving to San Francisco uh, to give the girls a little tour of the uh, of the bridge and see some of the sights in the stink town. And then flying out of the Oakland airport back here. So, When are you starting to look at colleges, Jason? Well, since uh, my little one, uh, my, my oldest one, is still in fifth grade, uh, not for a little bit. Okay. Not sure exactly where she's going to end up or what she wants to do. Maybe next year. So anyway, Twitter users are torn on this matter, some condemning the man for his inappropriate childish behavior and others criticizing Wendy for selfishly reclining her seat in an already tightly packed cabin. However, a handful of people said the airline was to blame. Because the cabin configuration doesn't allow for recline, even though the seat has the capacity to do it. Now, regardless of what side of the argument you fall on, I do think we can all agree that if the two would have just communicated a little bit about this problem, instead of pretty much ignoring each other, rather than trying to throw each other under the proverbial social media bus, this, this wouldn't have been a story. I, I don't understand how there are two sides to this story. Do I, don't, I don't care how, how many times you recline your seat against me. Do not punch my seat. Do not punch my seat in the back of the head. And do not do it repeatedly. Well, what, what are you thinking? How dare you? Are you out of your mind? How is he not being charged for assault because of that? Against the seat? Against the seat. It doesn't matter. What are you doing? And what does it say about you as a person that you uh, felt the need to sit there for, what, 5, 10, 15, an hour and just punch something repeatedly? What's wrong with you, man? Go get counseling. <laughs> you need help. You don't need to be on social media defending yourself. And the people on social media defending you need to get their heads checked as well and ask yourself if you find yourself in a similar situation, would you can do this behavior? Is this something you would be doing, punching the back of a seat for 15 minutes because you got upset about something and wanted to throw a tantrum? How dare you? That's my opinion. Well, what about this lady who then just reclines the seat? Obviously, this man is upset, upset enough to start pounding on her seat. You would think that she would just unrecline to uh, have him A, stop, and B, just to, just to deal with it, just to have a more pleasant experience on the rest of her flight. You've got kids. When you have kids and they're throwing a tantrum, do you reward their bad behavior? No, I just let well, exactly. it. Well, de- it depends on the situation. Now, if we're at home where it doesn't matter that they could scream at the top of their lungs, that's one thing. If I'm out in public, that's a whole different thing because it, it's, it's different how you handle those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like on an airplane, as we're talking about, where you have a your, your child is screaming. Now, you don't want your child to scream. You don't want your child to be upset, so you just figure out ways to keep them calm. And and we we were very good, my wife and I, about doing that. But I I, I would have I, I I don't know how I guess that's how how would you have handled it if uh, if somebody's reclined in in front of you? First off, that man would have had the common sense not to do that to me or to you. I mean that that is something that you do to a five foot six young woman who cannot protect themselves. You don't do that to a grown man, right? If had he done that to me as a grown man. I would have stood up and gotten a flight attendant involved. And if they chose not to do something about the situation, then there would have been a situation on the plane where there would have been a fight. And other passengers may have had to get involved. Because I, like, wow. I'm sorry, as a grown man, you do not put up with that. You do not hit the back of my seat. Like, maybe if we can have a conversation, let's have a conversation about it. I don't recline my seat in the first place, so I would not be in that specific situation. But if I'm in a situation where somebody is hitting me or my seat or the area around me repeatedly because they feel like I have done something wrong, then we need to either have a discussion or we need to figure out a way to work it out. Well, one airline executive has commented on the matter, and it was Delta CEO Ed Bastian. And Ed was on CNBC's Squawk Box. And he was really just talking about Delta's plans to go carbon neutral. But he was asked about this situation, and he was asked about his opinion on this debate that we're having right now to recline or not recline and the, the behavior of this guy who was pounding the seat. 
Now, as expected, he tried to avoid the question. He tried to be very PC all about it and, and skirt his way around the question. But when he was pressed and pressed and pressed for an answer, he said, I think customers have the right to recline. We've been testing reduced recline, but I think that the proper thing to do is if you're going to recline into somebody, that you ask if it's okay first. If someone knows there's a tall person behind them and they want to recline their seat, I think the polite thing to do is to make certain it was okay. I never recline because I don't think the CEO of the airline should be reclining the seat and I never say anything if someone reclines into me. That from Delta CEO Ed Bastian. As you were talking about, I, 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 I don't typically recline my seat. Mm-hmm. I just don't do it because I don't want people to recline in, into me. But if people do recline into me, I just grumble about it and go, oh, I, that's great. I just have this much less space on this flight. But the flight is going to be two or three or four hours. It's not that much part of my entire existence. I, I, I just put up. There's times when you put up with things, right? Mm-hmm. You have to wait for your wife all the time. Mm-hmm. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine the things I could have done with my life with all that time saved up. I spent waiting on my wife or children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is a phenomenal amount of time. But it's not worth it for me. That's, that's my risk-reward. It's just not worth it for me to start pounding somebody's seat or to shake them or to say, hey, could you just put your seat up because it's bugging the heck out of me. That's just me. I couldn't agree more. To lead is to serve, right? In, in the golden rule, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't want to be reclined on. I don't recline on to others. Why would I? There's no reason to. Right. There's just not a reason to. But again, I mean, the airlines can do something about this and just take away the option. Because there's, there's no reason to give people the option if we don't feel like they should be able to exercise that option. Or provide enough room like they do in first class, mm-hmm. where if you do recline, it's really not going to infringe on my limited space that I already have. Well, and there's something to this notion that people in the last row are at a disadvantage because you can't recline your own seat. But if the people can right. recline back into you, unfortunately, you can't do anything about that. That was your choice for sitting in the last seat, usually. Yeah, exactly. And also, I wanted to bring to your attention an issue that I find to be much more pressing. What's that? Uh, I feel like there should be a minimum height uh, for the emergency exit row. If you're not six feet tall, you don't get to sit in the exit row. And the reason for this is all the extra leg room that's there that's always taken up by the guy and the girl who are a couple, and they're 5'2", and they have four kids with them. Jason, you and I deserve those seats. I, I was actually thinking... That you were going to go with somebody should be tall, strong, uh, able-bodied to be able to help in a situation as such as an emergency where you need to have the door removed from the aircraft, help evacuate people from the aircraft out in a safety, uh, safely, uh, a safe manner, i.e. Uh, Sullenberger putting it down in the Hudson. Yes, you're right. I said the quiet part loud. My bad. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to go with this. Yep. But apparently you went with the whole, uh, keep the short people out. You have no reason to live, Randy Newman. And you should be out in one of these other seats. And only me, a tall, large person at 6'2", 225, should be in that exit row seat. Yes. That is, I, I did say the last part, you and I. Now, uh, Because we're so good at opening the exit door and saving people in case of an emergency. Your lovely wife, Tanya. Uh, she is not a, a super large woman. She's not six feet tall. Yep. So she would not be allowed in the exit row. You would be in there by yourself, and then she would be in the seat, presumably, hopefully, behind you, which you could recline into, and then she could pound your seat for the entirety of the flight. That is, yes, that is As correct. As you are enjoying the extra leg room, and she is not. Yes. Really, it would be a parable of our marriage. I get to relax, enjoy myself, enjoy all the space, and she is just frustrated and punching me. <laughs> I don't think you can recline, though, also from the seat ahead of the exit row seats. That's amazing. I don't know if that's the case or not, but what a wrinkle if that's the I do not, but because that row has to be uh, available to exit people out. So I don't think you can recline from that row that's ahead of the exit row. I, I don't know about you. I always go to the exit row, and I take that seriously, man. Like I have thought so many times oh, about how to rescue people in case of emergency because I am like the exit row master. 
I know I don't take the exit row anymore because I want to sit with my two children who are not eligible to be in the exit row. I see. Yep. Nor would I want them in the exit row. But actually, thinking about it now, I might because I would be next to the door. I could launch that thing out, and then I could launch those two out, and then get my wife out at the same time. But no, she would be on the other side, so that would be do, do me no good. Well, there's also 260 other people on the plane, presumably, that you have to get take care of. It. Well, I would um, presumably be already out of the plane and going, <laughs> see ya. I mean, what is the liability there if you, in the exit row, are, are just open the door and then take off running? Well, I mean, for the, I mean, do you, you know, I, are we I, really I, going down this path right now? Well, Can we I just save wonder. this conversation for another day? Because I have a lot of thoughts about this. Like, for example, you're probably not going to use the exit row in case of like a, the plane blowing up in the sky. Where you're going to use it is a water rescue, right? So yes. in that case, yeah, you are obligated to help everybody else get off the plane because ideally the plane lands on the water in such a way that you have plenty of time to get people out. So, yeah, you should be escorting, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, well, let's go, let's go. Uh, if you are parachuting out of a plane that's about to blow up, I do think it's a little different. Like, parachuting? I don't, there's no, I don't recall having jumping, a parachute. Jumping for your I, life because you have no chance on the plane. My bad. If you're jumping out of a plane because you have no chance of surviving on the plane. Because really, if you're crashing, unlike the Sullenberger situation, which is obviously very rare, most of the time it's on land. And most of the time there's fire involved. And most yeah. of the time it's all a heap of mess. Yep. And you just, I think it's all every, you know, everybody all for themselves. Do you really think the airline flight attendants that are supposed to be there first and foremost, as they say, for your safety, are going to help you off the plane? Or are they running for their lives as well? New thought. Let's table this conversation and pick it up the next time we're on a plane. How we would both survive okay. a plane crash. Well, I will be on a plane in June uh, and July. Call me. I w- <laughs> Sure. Okay. Um, do you have a new one of the new fangled driver's license, speaking of all this? The the newer driver's license with all the, uh, high, the, the stuff they, they have... Uh, uh, hieroglyphics and they have clear stuff on it I and mean, they have all kinds of cool stuff it's all cool features i don't know man i have a driver's license well it, it they have all these features on it uh and one of the reasons uh that all the states are going this way to have all these new safety features on your driver's license is to comply with this new airport security requirements because you have to have these clear uh i guess approved tsa approved ids and if you don't have one then you're not getting on a plane starting October 1st. Uh, and, and because those licenses, when you get them, they, they require a little bit more than just your proof of identification. And you and you have a little star on the top of it. Um, and it's called a real ID. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's called yep. the real ID. And you have to have them by October 1st. And apparently, as I've been reading, a lot of states, even though they've issued a bunch of them, it's just about 34% of the citizens have these things, and it's going to be a big problem for the folks who don't have them if they're showing up to the airport. Because they have, about seven months or so to get them before that they're going to be locked off of the airplane, unless they also have a passport. So a lot of folks might be just opting to go get a passport, which I just had mine renewed, mm-hmm. and it took me about, what, four or five, six weeks to get that back. Well, I, I mean, I, I do think the vast majority of the public doesn't understand that this change is coming. Probably not. You know what I mean? Like, you see, it becomes white noise after a while. Like, I, unless somebody comes up to me and tells me these things, if I didn't work in the news, I wouldn't know that. Because this is for not just international flights. This is for domestic flights. Right. So you're going to have to either have to real ID or you're going to have to have a military ID, one of those global entry cards, or your passport to go through security, even if you're taking a domestic flight. Not even an international flight. And if you're going to get one of these real ideas, IDs, you're supposed to, at your, at your state license facility, you're supposed to present four pieces of identification. A passport or birth certificate, social security card, tax return, a couple of documents that's going to provide the, your official proof of residence. All of this stuff? All of this stuff. Jesus. Like a mortgage or a rental receipt or a utility bill, something like that. So you need four pieces of identification that shows that you actually live there, that you're a resident of this place, and that you can then get this real ID. And and apparently there's a rush now for people to get these things for the people who fly often, and even the people that don't. And now a lot of states say they're overwhelmed and they can't keep up. New Jersey says they have already uh, overrun with appointments to go get real IDs. Oklahoma says only a handful of DME, D, uh, DMV offices 
are issuing real IDs. The rest of their state uh, will can, this, uh, will get uh, all the DMVs in action over the summer. Oregon says it's going to take until July before they're ish- able to issue all these new IDs. Oregon and Washington are urging residents to get passport cards or passport books because they say the process is going to be quicker and you're not going to be delayed if you uh, have to go to the airport and you won't be able to get one of these things. So I have one of the new driver's licenses in Colorado, and so it should f- work for me. Mm-hmm. At least that's what they told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Homeland uh, Department of Homeland Security says that they are maybe open to uh, pushing back the date that this thing is going to be going into effect, October 1st. But so far, they have not said that they will officially do that. So the clock is ticking, folks. Go get your new driver's license now. Go get your real ID, yeah. Or get your uh, passport. I always bring the passport of my girls when I'm going to the airport. Mm -hmm. One, to uh, prove that just to give it to the TSA because they like to do that. And two, there is a huge problem with human trafficking, and I don't want to have any question about these being my children um in atlanta when i was there the last time there are signs up all over the place and they have warning messages going over the loudspeakers about human trafficking i saw a video of somebody trying to steal a child there at the airport one time uh not too long ago there at the uh, atlanta airport so it's a uh, it's a major problem that's scary stuff i mean and, and it's always good to crack down on the uh, this idea that people can print licenses right now fakes really efficiently and the real idea is supposed to crack down on that on the on the other hand it does seem like a lot of work shouldn't you just mail these new ids to everybody who has an id that hasn't expired yet and say hey here's us taking care of you no (laughs) when when does the government really care about taking care of you well i didn't say is the government going to do that i said shouldn't the government do that they should be doing a lot of things there you go should be fixing our roads and our bridges and and if you vote, infrastructure. If you vote Bernie Sanders, <laughs> yeah, it's possible. No thanks. Revolution. Yeah, I, I don't want that kind of revolution. A revolution. I don't. I don't need that kind of revolution. No, thank you. All right. So, <laughs> speaking of well, revolution. I, go with that revolution. <laughs> it's time to talk traffic once again, and this time we're heading to the Great Lakes, America's north coast, the Forest City, the city Drew Carey built, the mistake by the lake, Cleveland, Ohio. To speak with John Rudder, the traffic anchor and helicopter reporter for WEWS-TV. You can watch John delivering traffic updates during Good Morning Cleveland from Air Tracker 5 and covering breaking news during the afternoon and evening newscast. Even like this morning, driving around on the roads, <laughs> reporting live on the road conditions there. John, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So before we talk about traffic issues there in Cleveland, tell us a bit more about John, how you uh, moved from newscast producer to talking traffic from uh, the studio and from the helicopter. How did all that go down? Yeah, so uh, I originally started out as an anchor and a reporter at a uh, small TV station in the Ohio Valley in the Steubenville Wheeling Market. Um, I did a two-year stint there as an anchor and a reporter, and um, you know how the business kind of goes. You kind of reach a ceiling somewhere, and there wasn't a whole lot more for me to do there, so I was just looking for for something else to do. And uh, the producing uh, role that I found at Channel 5 was kind of like a a utility role. I would do a little producing, I would do a little shooting, I would do a little editing, so it really kind of was right in my wheelhouse and was everything that I was good at and everything that I like to do. Um, so I did that for maybe six or eight months. And, um, I think it was right around the holidays and, uh, they needed, they were, you know, we were short staffed and they needed somebody to go out and do some storm coverage like I was doing this morning. Um, and one of our news directors looked at me and said, wait a minute, you've been on the air before, right? Can you go do this? Um, so I did it and I must not have done a bad job, uh, because, uh, I, did it a couple of more times and then a month or so later we got a helicopter and um i think that they realized your last name is rudder this would be perfect for you uh so you want to be you want to fly an air tractor five so i of course said yes and uh, i've been i've been doing that ever since i believe that was january of 2016 so we're coming up on like four years now so do you like the traffic reporting do you like doing the morning thing in the studio or do you like the helicopter thing or one more than the other 
So I th- um, that's a good question, actually. I think that they both kind of have their benefits. I really like being in the studio and kind of being a part. I really feel like I'm a part of the show when I'm in the studio. Um, but by the same time, I mean, it's awesome flying around Cleveland. You get to see some awesome sunrises. Uh, I've covered a lot of really cool things from the sky. Um, so, I mean, it's, it would be hard for me to pick one thing over the other which I, that I like the best. Yeah, my background is much of the same as yours, where I actually came from the radio side, where I was in the helicopter for the big radio station here in town, 850 KOA, and then came to Channel 7 uh, and flew in our helicopter, which we call Air Tracker 7. Um, <laughs> I was doing studio in the morning till 9, and then I would leave, and then I'd go show up at the airport and fly around in the afternoon, run the camera, and uh, be the reporter at the same time uh, for the afternoon newscast. And it was, it was great. I, I loved doing that. But here in town, we uh, had uh, all the TV stations decided that operating the helicopter is just too darn expensive. Yeah. (laughs) So now we have a shared group of TV stations that actually run the helicopter. And the local radio station, KOA Radio, they actually throw a little bit of money in so they can put their radio reporter uh, in there now. So it's a whole different situation where we don't have our own helicopter anymore, which is a little bit frustrating. Yeah, that's an interesting situation. And a lot of the people who have been, you know, in this Cleveland market for a number of years have kind of expressed the, uh, you know, a, a similar avenue or a series of events kind of transpired in Cleveland when, you know, things kind of took a turn in 2008 and stations, you know, everybody had a chopper and then stations started getting getting rid of their choppers. Um, and we brought it back about four years ago. So uh, it's it's kind of been a really unique experience. I'd never been in a helicopter before, so uh, I was, you know, gung-ho to do it. And it was really interesting because, you know, we had this big station meeting and our news director, Jeff Harris, was talking about, you know, where you've got this new addition to our news team and we're going to bring it. We're going to add a helicopter. And, you know, I think I was, you know, 25, 26 years old at the time. And I thought, whoa, like this is so cool. I probably seemed like a 13 year old kid in the back of this meeting with like all of these veterans that had been at the station for 20 to 25 years. And they're like. Who's this child behind us that's excited that we're getting a helicopter? It's a normal news operation, but I was thrilled for it, and I think they were kind of, I think that they saw that, and um, you know, saw that I was eager to do to you know to make the most of an opportunity, and it's worked out well for both of us, I think. That uh, you, you and I have another thing in common there. Uh, the name Jeff Harris. He was also a news director here for a little bit. Yeah, there's a pipeline from Denver to Cleveland, it seems yeah. like. Yeah, because Sean McGarvey was uh, <laughs> Cleveland is because he, he just left, and now he's going to be doing directing content for scripts uh, for the whole East Coast. So you've lost yeah. two of our news directors. Yeah, he was uh, an interim news director after Jeff left, and then he took the main job for probably about a year or so. Um, and then just recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, he took that uh, promotion within scripts. So uh, just uh, the pipeline. Who else you got? That's just going to start right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just hired a new uh, assistant news director who was our morning show executive producer. So I think she's going to stay here for a while. And <laughs> our last least, one before right? hers was sent off to, uh, uh, to not Toledo, but um, Tulsa. So they took another one of our <laughs> assistant news directors, and now he is a, uh, a news director there in Tulsa. So, yeah, the pipeline continues, apparently. <laughs> uh, do you run the camera as well in the afternoon? I do, yes, and in the morning. Uh, anytime that I'm up there, um, uh, you know, I'm the one that's running the camera. Um, sometimes, you know, when we're doing some particular storm damage, we'll take a meteorologist up. Um, the way that our particular setup is in the helicopter is that, um, you know, we can do the traditional talent up front, camera person in the back. Um, but there's also a talent cam uh, on the where the camera controls are, so uh, I can do both, and I have the talent camera right there in front of my front of me. I'm speaking to John Rudder. He's a traffic anchor and helicopter reporter for WEWS TV News Channel Five there in Cleveland. You can follow him on Twitter at John Rudder J O N, not J O H N. I'm sure that you've heard, as we talked about a minute ago, how many stations around the country have stopped their helicopter program. I think they just stopped it there in Cincinnati, including yeah, at yeah. our script station there. Yeah. Uh, and there's a couple other stations. I think Jacksonville, maybe, and maybe even uh, somewhere else in Florida. I think they're getting rid of their helicopters anyway. Uh, do you think that your station is going to be committed to keeping the helicopter? Because it, it, they're going away. Obviously, they're expensive, as we talked about. Do you think there is a long-term commitment to keep the chopper going? Well, it's I, I, that's a good question. And um, I know that you know when re- regimes tend to change in a newsroom, then news philosophies can kind of tend to change. And um, and we might be going through that right now with Sean taking this new position and we'll have, you know, some new leadership in there. Um, I think that our contract will be coming up in about a year for the helicopter. So 
that's a big decision and that's an easy line item to to eliminate uh and you know with the emergence of drones and you know our station has a couple of drones that we typically use for news coverage and the incredible image quality that they that they produce and kind of the portability and flexibility that they offer um it's really kind of you know put a uh you know put a damper on maybe the helicopter market and uh i i really wonder how that's going to to play out myself um but at the same time uh the the usefulness of the helicopter is kind of the immediacy right you know you you have the breaking news or you have something going on and you're up in the air and you can get there within a couple of minutes and uh, if you're if you are solely operating with aerial video via drone then you still have to pack up your stuff and throw it in the car and fight traffic and get to where you are and get the clearance and and fire it up and get up into the air and figure out where you're shooting so you know there's still a time crunch there and with the helicopter that obviously eliminates that um and and we've been able to be over situations and scenes very very quickly and i think that that's provided value to our news station and you know that's one of the reasons why we call it the breaking news leader in this guy is because we do fly so much and we're over a lot and uh, any chance that we can to take that thing up we usually do uh, so, but it, but it, you're right. It, it, you know, stations are, are looking at budgets as they always are, and, and that's an easy one to eliminate. So, you know, I don't have a definite answer on whether or not or, or what the future of Air Tracker Five is. I would certainly like to see it stay. I love flying around. We have some great pilots, and I think that it's a great asset for our station. But you know, I understand that those are difficult decisions that leadership at a station has to make. Yeah, it is frustrating for me sometimes that the current helicopter people uh, they. For some reason, they can't see the same things that I, I, I can see. I have over 8,000 flying hours around Denver, and you and you being up in a helicopter, know how many hours that is. So oh, yeah. I, yeah, so I, 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 can, I can see when I'm just looking at the video from the helicopter how uh, w- what's going on, where it's going on. It's really not that difficult to see where the problem spots are, uh, especially when you're looking at congestion on the roadway or a crash or a stall or whatever uh, is yeah. down there on, on the roads. But for some reason, the people that are running the camera up there in our chopper, they just can't see it. And it just frustrates me and I start getting mad and, and it, my blood pressure jumps up and it's just not good for me. <laughs> When you're and it's funny when you're up there because sometimes you can you can even narrow it down to to one or two cars that are you know not merging properly or you know just driving slower and, and starting to cause the backup and you you almost kind of wish that you had a laser pointer that you could kind of shine down there and be like it's the guy in the Toyota that's causing this right now but <laughs> right. Um, it's it, I I agree with you I feel that frustration too. So you've seen, obviously, a growth in the city over the last four years. You've been flying and just been covering traffic there in Cleveland. What has been some of the uh, big growth spots, and how has traffic adjusted there through Cleveland now that you guys are uh, growing? Well, when I got to Cleveland, the big project that was going on, uh, and I'm not sure how familiar you are familiar you are with Cleveland, but the big project that was going on was the Interbelt Bridge. Um, there was, you know, a huge, massive construction project, hundreds of millions of dollars of construction that was going on for this big bridge that was a main artery that carried, you know, you know, two of our major highways r- really right into the downtown area, um, and. You know, there were ramps that were closed and various lane restrictions, and you know, they essentially kind of funneled all of the traffic into one bridge and then built another bridge and then rerouted that traffic onto that bridge and then built another bridge so that you know there were i think that there's four or five lanes going across it right now and it was down to two so you can you know understand just how much of a pinch that was especially when you have you know a you know a major metropolitan area and then traffic gets funneled down from multiple highways into into that bottleneck um you know it was it was almost like clockwork. Every day we could kind of pick out, you know, okay, you know, six six forty five, we're going to be over seventy one in the metro curve because that's where traffic's going to bottle up because it always does. Uh, and since that's uh, that's completed, we really don't have that backup issue there anymore. So it, it, we've kind of you know moved over to to seventy seven, which is just kind of you know on the other side. It's it's really interesting how some of the highways are. You know, seventy seven and seventy one are kind of parallel to each other, running south of the city. So that backup has kind of shifted over to seventy seven now because they're doing some some work on that stretch of highway. So. Uh, typically where the major construction projects are, it's not too hard to find the backup that goes along with it. But Ohio DOT must be huge. You have uh, three very large cities. You have Cincinnati, and you have obviously Cleveland, and then you have a bunch of uh, smaller towns. You have Toledo and Dayton. You really have a whole bunch of big places there in Ohio to deal with for the DOT. So how are they to work with? How are they at managing those kind of projects and the overall traffic and congestion? My relationship with the you know with ODOT has has been really good actually. I, I um, 
you know, go back and forth frequently with a lot of their, their PIOs and their uh, communications managers on Twitter. And, and they're very, it seems like they're always up when I'm up and they're always aware of issues whenever there's a problem. So they're very forthcoming with information and, um, you know, any criticism or any, uh, you know, I guess any criticism that we may have of them, you know, as long as it's warranted, they're pretty honest and open with answering any questions that we might have with with any delays of, of projects that might be going on. So, I mean, they're, they've been very, very transparent and open with just about everything that, that I've had to deal with them. Uh, and, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe a year or so ago, I think that we had a, a couple of issues, a couple of problems with uh, contractors not finishing up construction projects on time. There was, you know, overnight work that was supposed to happen on 90 where they were going to restrict the traffic down to one lane and that was supposed to be wrapped up by five or six o'clock in the morning. And for whatever reason, the contractor missed that deadline. So that construction lingered on into six and seven o'clock, which just created a traffic nightmare. And uh, they were kind of uh, frequently, they were on top of that and they knew exactly who the contractor was and they reached out to the contractor. They'd, they find the contractor a couple of times to ensure that that didn't happen uh, in, in, in the future. So uh, my relationship with ODOT has, has been a, a good one and, and one that I really, I mean, I exercise that almost daily. It seems like I'm, I'm reaching out to them for one reason or another regarding something traffic or weather related. I'm speaking to John Rudder. He's the traffic anchor and helicopter reporter for WEWS-TV. News Channel 5 there in Cleveland. You can reach him on Twitter at John Rudder, J-O-N-R-U-D-D-E-R. Overall, the traffic congestion there in Cleveland, when, I, when I'm looking at, at uh, the lists of the worst places that you see traffic, obviously Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Denver is up there in the top tw- uh, 20 on the list usually. But I really don't see Cleveland as one of the worst cities or the best cities there as far as congestion. It's just somewhere out there as uh, not too bad and not too hard to get around. It's not. And it's funny because, you know, we have some people here that, uh, you know, they, come, they come from L.A. and, you know, they hear about Cleveland traffic and they're like, well, I, you know, I was, 20, I was in traffic for 20, 25 minutes. I wasn't bad at all. But you talk to somebody from Cleveland who's been in traffic for 20 to 25 minutes, they're ready to rip their hair out. So it, it's interesting to see uh, the varying degrees of frustration with the, the traffic here. And, and, you know, I would kind of say that Cleveland really doesn't have a particular traffic problem until there's an accident because things can just get very, very difficult and very, very slow quickly. And you understand that when anytime that there's an accident, you know, you get a couple of lanes shut down and especially if it happens during peak drive time, it just, it's, it's a nightmare. So uh, there aren't any, I wouldn't just say that, you know, Cleveland particularly has a traffic problem. It's 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 pretty it's pretty smooth sailing for by and large for the most part. Yeah, and, and with weather, obviously, you guys getting uh, snow occasionally, and when you have these lakes uh, uh, snow events like you're seeing here, uh, that can obviously play a huge role in in how your commute fares out. Yeah, it does. And what's interesting, and something that I've noticed over the last four or five years or so, is it's not necessarily the weather itself that causes the problems. It's like the the change in the weather. You know, if you have a, uh, a stretch of weather where it's fairly calm and mild and you don't have anything going on that first day that you have snow or rain you know all hell breaks loose there's there's crashes and there's accidents and there's slowdowns but if that weather persists for three or four days you kind of start to see that subside or i've noticed that we kind of start to see the accidents and the slowdowns subside it's like people see that for the first day and are caught off guard by it and then they kind of adapt their driving over the next couple of days and we don't see as many problems out there and then conversely if you have snow or rain or and one morning you get a lot of sunshine out there same thing it's it, there's a lot of backups specifically anybody that's headed east on any of those major highways we see some major congestion issues and um it's it's just kind of funny to see that uh you can look at the forecast and see uh, uh, cloudy and rainy for a couple of days well thursday we're going to get some peaks of sun during that morning drive. That'll probably be a mess out there. And, and usually we're right, and it's funny how that plays out. Yeah, sun is always a huge problem for, I think, any morning drive. Uh, Cleveland, they have your own transit system, uh, what they call it, the Rapid, I think, right? Uh, yes, yeah. The- yeah, and it's pretty, it's pretty standard system with just light rail. The, the, I think you have a trolley, the, the buses that run around town. Um, but I see that the RTA is, is facing similar issues that many cities like Denver is facing and other cities are facing with low ridership and, and financial change uh, changes and challenges. And, and I think the desire also by some to expand the service into the outlying areas without is yeah. ever raising fares. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a fine line that they have to walk, right? You know, you want to, they want to be able to 
offer these services and these uh, these routes, but uh, at the same time, they have to be able to fund them. And uh, you, know, you know, money's short at, everywhere, and uh, I think that's one of the problems that that uh, the RTA might be running into. And look, I I'm as big of a fan as of the rapid as, as you're going to find. I try to take it as any, as often as I can, but sometimes it's just not uh, feasible or efficient from from where I am, and it's kind of because of you know, I I currently live on the far west side on in Lakewood, or excuse me, in Westlake. Uh, I did live in Lakewood, uh, and there just aren't a whole lot of routes that go through there. Uh, so, you know, I, I would love to take it more if there were an opportunity to. I just I just don't necessarily have those opportunities. It's quite efficient. It's rather cheap. I mean, five fifty gets you a pass all day, um, and you know, it's it's a far better option to find a find a rapid station pay 550 and ride the train in and take you know an extra 10 or 15 minutes and pay 25 or 35 dollars to park for an indians game uh and, and then you don't have to battle traffic so uh I, i've always i came from a small small town so i've always been very interested in public transportation and trains and particularly the rapid or something that i try to utilize as much as i can but you're right. There's always room for growth, and you, you wish that there would be a way that you could maybe pour some more money into that to make it more viable and, and, and to increase ridership and get more people on that. And you're a, you're a good example of that first mile, last mile problem where it doesn't come right to you. So how, how do you think you can solve that first mile, last mile problem where it gets you from your door to the station or to the nearest bus stop? Yeah, that's a difficult question. I, I, I tell you what, if I, if I did have that answer, I might not be working as a traffic reporter at <laughs> right. Channel 5, but... Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because, you know, you're always looking at ways to, to maximize routes and to expand routes. And, um, you know, you're right. If people don't have that option right at their door, they're less likely to take it. Um, I think that maybe, you know, the communication part of it and just is a big, is a big aspect of it because for the longest time, you know, RTA always boasts that, you know, you can take the rapid to the Indians game and pay five fifty and, you know, have a round trip ticket and, it drops you off right at the ballpark. Well, I didn't, you know, I know that the, all of the routes end at tower city in downtown, but what I didn't know was that tower city is connected by an underground tunnel directly to the ballpark. So that's something that's maybe some fine print that I didn't necessarily notice or didn't necessarily realize. And if you're, I mean, yeah, I was an out of towner moving to Cleveland and there are more people, young people like myself moving to downtown and, you know, we're seeing a lot more apartments and things being built downtown. That wasn't something that I was necessarily clear on. So I think that they might be able to do a better job of just communicating that like, hey, yeah, it does drop you off at Tower City, which is, you know, the last stop is at Tower City, which is a couple of blocks away from the ballpark. But, you know, there's an underground walkway that you can, you know, don't have to worry about crossing streets, fighting traffic there. It literally drops you off right at the queue or or Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is what it's called now, and, and it, you're right there at the ballpark or the arena if you're headed downtown for an event. Sounds a little like Minneapolis, where they have a lot of underground tunnels between buildings so people don't have to walk outside in the freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, and it reminded me a lot of Toronto, too, because yeah. I just I, the, my first experience in Toronto was last fall, and a uh, similar situation. They had you know the underground path system, and it was really cool to kind of walk the underground tunnels to connect to the subway system and, and navigate your way around uh, a big major city like that. I've always been fascinated with the New York City subway system. Um, I, I, like I, said, I may have mentioned, you know, I come from such a small town. There were 65 people in my graduating class. So I wanted as big as possible when I was looking for places and and uh, destinations to where I was going to end up living and working. And I think Cleveland's a nice mix of that. I'm not far from home. It's a big city, but, uh, you know, it's a city, but it's got a smaller feel and it's got public transportation and things like that. So it's it's a nice mix of both. I agree with you on the whole subway thing. I I almost like a little bit the grunginess of it exactly and, right um, it's, it's like, yeah and and the people that are part doing, of its charm exactly and the people that are playing music in there or or you know trying to entertain you for money or it, it's always a show in the new york city subway even though it is kind of gross but some of that grossness is actually fun right it's part of its charm and that's what you know you talk to a local and you know they hate riding the subway and i understand that you know it's it probably does. You, know, you go there as a tourist, you don't have those restrictions about trying to be somewhere at 815 and, you know, the A train goes down and you don't have to worry about that. Um, so, you know, as a tourist, you have that luxury where you're kind of taking it more for entertainment than you are for necessity. But uh, I've always thought it was efficient. I've never, you know, I have never had a whole lot of problems with it any time that I've ever taken it. And I've always thought it was just a fascinating system of just uh, just how large it is. I mean, yeah. Manhattan is a, an amazingly big space and you have all of these people crammed there and everybody's trying to get to the same place and you have 
tunnels upon tunnels and routes upon routes and, it, and it's just such an intricate system intricate system and i've always been fascinated by that and it seems like one of the reasons why i think that's one of the reasons why i enjoy the rapids so much here in cleveland is because it's kind of a, a miniaturized version of that yeah i don't think i would want to live there though that's one place <laughs> I, I would not want to live I, I think I, that I would like to try it for a certain amount of time, but ultimately I would like to retract back to a city like this, you know, maybe the size of Cleveland. Yeah, I was in, uh, it was around Christmas time years ago in uh, um, the Macy's there in, in New York City. And yeah, it's I kept a good getting, time to be there. Uh, right, yeah, but it's also a crowded time, and I kept getting bumped. <laughs> so people are bumping, I'm a pretty big guy, and so people are bumping in my shoulders. Well, after a while, I, I, I got sick of people running into me. So then I'd give them a little shot with my shoulder. I'm like, you're going to run into me. You're going to feel it. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely crowded there. And, and uh, I think that's part of the, I think, uh, I think that's again, part of the charm for me is because I, I came from just such a small area. Uh, and you know, I, I've always enjoyed that big city feel and I've always enjoyed a lot of people, you know, milling around. And I, I think that that was one thing that I've always liked about it, but it, it, conversely, I could absolutely see that. And I know that a few people that live in New York city, or grew up in New York City that I went to college with, and they they despise the subway. So it's funny just to hear the two perspectives on it. I'm talking with John Rudder. He is the traffic anchor and helicopter reporter for WEWS-TV News Channel 5 in Cleveland. So I've asked all the folks that I've had on the segment here called Talking Traffic what the biggest pet traffic peeve is. I, I guess I didn't really say that, right? What's your, big, <laughs> what's your, what's your biggest traffic pet peeve uh, as you're driving around? Um, right now with the snow... Uh, that we've got here and it being winter, uh, I think the biggest pet peeve for me is just is people not uh, brushing off their cars because uh, you don't necessarily necessarily realize how dangerous that is until you're on the highway and someone's just dusting you with snow that's blowing off of their car uh, and or you've got a truck in front of you that's just spraying everybody with snow. Uh, it creates a visibility issue. You can't see people in front of you. You can't necessarily, it kind of disorients you it distracts you because that's kind of what you're focusing on. And, you know, if you need to make a lane change or if you're trying to get off at an exit, uh, it can certainly distract you and again, create a visibility problems for that. And I think that that's the biggest, the biggest frustration and the biggest pet peeve for me is particularly for this time of year is I see so many people with, uh, and it's not just, you know, the light layer. I mean, there's people I've, I take pictures of people who are out on the highway with, six seven eight inches of snow on the top of their via, their car and you're just waiting for that to break off and that, you know how many times do you do stories about or do you see stories across the country of somebody getting you know hit with a sheet of ice and it causing an accident or uh you know a, a, a chunk of ice or a chunk of snow falls off of their car and ends up causing a crash i mean i i see those all the time and i just think i just think that's such an easy thing to avoid go out a couple of extra minutes early and dust your car off and and, and avoid that yeah, I don't know what the law is there in Ohio. In Colorado, you have to clear all of your windows, your front side and rear windows, but you are not legally required to brush off the snow from the roof of your car or from the rest of your car. But like you said, it's obviously very dangerous. I received a question from somebody about that uh, clearing snow from the top of buses, and those are huge and they carry a lot of snow, and they can just ju- uh, fall right on somebody and then, obviously, as you said, cause limited visibility for a short time or have chunks of snow or ice crash into somebody's car. So I don't know what the what, – do you know what the law is there in Ohio? Similar law, you have to have your, your, your windows cleared, uh, but I don't think that there's any restriction as far as for, for snow on the top of your car. Uh, so it's just uh, – it's, it's frustrating. And, again, I, I don't even it, – it's probably – I'm sure that it's something that people aren't even doing – on purpose or intentionally it's just something that you don't even think of you oh my windows are clear i'll hop in my car and i'm off ready to go you don't realize that you're just dusting people that are that are behind you and creating all those problems a different kind of crop dusting than you do in the newsroom right <laughs> yes exactly. <That's> right. <laughs> all right so, <laughs> all right so i know you have a uh, your own podcast and it's called two skinny ties that you do yeah. with uh, what trent mcgrill so let, tell me about your uh, about your podcast yeah, if we could get him to actually change his avatar to where he would have a skinny tie in the avatar, the name might make a little sense or a little more sense. But uh, it was just kind of an idea that we had uh, probably a little over a year ago. Um, Trent got here, I think, January of uh, maybe 2019. Um, and, you know, he and I are you know, we get there at about the same time in the morning and, you know, we're usually chit-chatting or, or BSing about something that either happened in our lives or, you know, something that happened that we're, that we're talking about. And it, it always turned into some 
outlandish conversation or or a huge joke and it, uh, somehow the entire studio w- would get in on it and it just it, we kept thinking time and time again like oh like i wish we had our microphones on right now i wish we were recording this so we thought why don't we start a podcast and you know we hemmed and hawed about how we wanted to do it or what we wanted to do and then you know our, our station kind of installed the uh you know put the uh infrastructure in for a podcast studio upstairs so it just kind of made sense that we would that we would go up and, and give it a try and we just that's what we did one day we just went up and turned the microphones on and i think that that's kind of the the style that we like it's just kind of a, an informal conversation that you know three people that are sitting around a microphone on and uh it, it's worked out well for us we uh kind of go through ebbs and flows about uh you know with consistently posting i think that that's one of the keys to building an audience is just to consistently publish and post and you understand you know you i'm sure that you know more than anybody that you know the restrictions and difficulties that that can be how difficult that can be with working in a news schedule and then you know Denver, i'm sure denver has some crazy weather too trent gets busy with weather as well so uh it can be a challenge sometimes to pump out episodes consistently but we've had a lot of fun guests on we talked to a lot of uh people in house uh, and I think that that's really cool to fe- to hear different people's stories about why they got into journalism, what they like best. Uh, we, you know, we just did a, a podcast with Terrence, uh, who, who was at one of our anchors on the morning show, good morning Cleveland for, I think he was at the station for, for seven years and he had been an anchor for five or six of them. So, you know, he has seen a, a, a long you know, he, he's seen a lot of Cleveland and a lot of growth in Cleveland, so it was interesting to talk to him about how the show has grown and the people and and what he's going to miss about Northeast Ohio and Cleveland. And, uh, and you know, then conversely, we've gone outside of the building and we've talked to, to John Adams, the drummer guy for the Cleveland Indians that you always see on, you know, anytime that the Indians are on national TV, he's the guy up there pounding his drum uh, in, in the bleachers. And he's been doing that for 40 years, and, and he, he was just a catalog of stories. So uh, we, we try to keep it informal. Uh, we really don't have any specific, you know, questions or guidelines. We just kind of turn the mics on and 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 see what happens. And it, it's it, it's done it's done well and it's gone well so far. And I'm anxious to see who we get because we've got some we've got some pretty some good ideas for what we want to do here in 2020 with it. So I'm anxious to see where that goes here in 2020. I I can't tell you how jealous I am that you actually have an official podcasting studio in your building. I've been asking <laughs> our management for five years now to build a podcast studio because we still record in our old uh, recording booth where all the reporters and anchors do their voice tracks for uh, the newscast or for their stories. And so I I, have a a mixer that I bought and some uh, equipment that I put together, and then I just run it through their their little uh, mixer here. But I'm telling you what. I would love to have our own podcast studio. So maybe you can get Sean to, we come, may have to... come back here and help me build one of these things. <laughs> well, I, or, or we could bring you out to Cleveland and you can kind of steal our, our, our blueprints and our schematics sure. for it uh, and, and bring it back out to Denver. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know, th- I think that that was, you know, an initiative kind of station wide that they wanted to do. Um, our brand is kind of, you know, a better land. So we're, we're constantly focusing on stories that, that, uh, shed a positive light on Cleveland people that are and, and positive newsmakers in Cleveland. I think that that was one of the, the keys, uh, you know, the, you know, you're all supposed to have a niche, right? And I think that that was one of the niches that, uh, our station wanted to, to capitalize on and grow on and, and be able to do more long form interviews with newsmakers in Northeast Ohio. So they, they developed this podcast and, uh, or this podcast studio and kind of put the infrastructure in there and, uh, probably premature and before anybody really wanted us to trent and i kind of went in there and, and powered it up and oh no that's the way to do it podcasts. you just take over right. you just gotta right. take yeah. over don't claim ask, it as yours for, right don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness so exactly. that's kind of what we that's kind of what we did and uh we've just kind of run with it from from there so uh, it's been good uh we've we've had a lot of fun with it and like i said we're anxious to see uh, where things go and some of the guests that we get uh, that we get on uh, for here. And again, that's called Two Skinny Ties, and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you're what on Stitcher and everywhere, right? Yeah, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, anywhere that you can download a podcast. We're there, so it's it's great. Well, there you go. You still have a little time to uh, catch up here to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Uh, this is episode actually number one sixty. We tend we lost track of the episodes that we that we. Uh, are putting out so one of the jokes and one of the quirks of our show is we usually started up with welcome to two skinny ties this is episode what trent 220 221 that we're on right now so it's <laughs> we make up a number throw it out there and it's funny because our guest is you in, in 
whether it's somebody that's in the station and has, has knows how long we've been doing this or somebody that we bring in, they're like, oh my God, wow, 220 episodes already. And we're like, yeah, it's more like maybe 20 or 25, but uh, it's it's just kind of a nice joke that breaks the ice and really kind of gets the conversation flowing to start things off. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It really seems like you're following my career path, doing radio and TV, the chopper thing, the breaking news thing. I, I do think you do a really nice job. Uh, with you. all of that, that stuff, so you know, you sound great doing all of it, and you handle yourself really well in the helicopter. Because I know it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, is that what you want to keep doing? Is that what you would really like to do, or would you like to get into anchoring or maybe sports reporting? Because I know you do some of that too. Yeah, um, you know, the, if there are opportunities ever there to anchor or to do some sports reporting, I would love to do that. Um, you know, I'm I'm content where I'm at. I, I I hate to make it seem like I'm jumping at the next opportunity, but uh, because I I really do like what I do, what like what I do. Um, you know, how many people get to say that they get to, they can fly around Cleveland and take great pictures and see all these wonderful? I mean, I covered I covered the the Cavs championship parade from from Air Tracker Five six months after we got the helicopter. I mean, if you would have told me that, I would have never believed you uh, that I would have gotten an opportunity to do something like that. And that was one of the more incredible things that I've gotten to do. Um, so I, I, I love it. I, I'm willing to do it for as long as they're, they're willing to have me. Uh, but at the same time, I, I would, if there were an ever an opportunity to do something like that, I would be definitely interested in it. So I, I think the most important thing is that I, I'm at a good spot. I'm at a good station with a lot of great people. And I think that makes it makes it easier when you're trying to figure out what you want to do is that you can kind of sit and you have that luxury to to sit back and wait and do something that you enjoy with people that you love to be around and if the right opportunity comes up that's what happens thanks again john john rudder the traffic anchor helicopter reporter for wews tv news channel five there in cleveland ohio you can get him on twitter at john rudder john thanks again for being here on the show appreciate your time I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for having me. And if you're ever in Cleveland, you are more than welcome to be one of the to be the third tie on two skinny ties. That'd be perfect. I would love that opportunity. I would just take over your show, and then you would just. <laughs> <That's perfect. laughs> so that Driving might not you be crazy the best. East, right? Yeah, there you go. All right, thanks again, John. Take care. Thank you. All right, and there he goes. Uh, like I said, I would not be surprised to hear soon that his station is going to do away with their chopper program, or that other stations are if they have chopper programs there in Cleveland, uh, are joining together for one chopper like we have here in Denver. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't fly around anymore. I, I um, uh, All the helicopter, all the companies uh, here in town, it started with Channel 9 asking us. They said they were, they were going to get out of the helicopter business because they couldn't afford it anymore. So they approached our GM at that time and said, hey, would you be interested in doing a sharing operation? We could share the cost and trying to work it out and they said sure and then channel four got on board and then fox 31 got on board and so all the stations now share one helicopter and they they basically lease it from helicopters incorporated who provides the pilot and the photographer and then koa radio they throw in some money so they can throw their radio person in there basically renting a seat if you will uh so it brings down the cost a little bit more for all the TV stations, but that's how it works here. And the behind-the-scenes stuff is fascinating. The idea of stations owning their helicopter, I do really think, has gone by the wayside, and it becomes an advantage in a lot of markets where one station has their own helicopter and the others do not. Yes. That was what we saw in Las Vegas, where you had two stations with helicopters, two stations that did not have helicopters for a very long time. The ones who have the helicopters have a huge advantage in almost every breaking news situation. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I thought it was a big disservice for us to do that and I do still think it is a competitive advantage to have your own helicopter. Uh, yes, they cost a lot of money, but I also think that they offer a lot of value, especially to that individual station. And, and frankly, I think the viewers demand that they have that kind of coverage. Well, and it's a real inefficiency in this market that could be exploited by somebody who was a budding entrepreneur and wanted to purchase their own helicopter contract and enter into a deal with one of the radio groups themselves and just do it independently of everybody else so they could get that exclusive footage that other people aren't getting by flying that helicopter at times when the news stations are not. And I even think you could do it with an airplane. You could do you could you could outfit a fixed-wing airplane, maybe not a Cessna 182, but maybe something a little bit more powerful that's not going to cost as much as a helicopter. You can't hover, but you still for the most part Helicopters aren't hovering over a scene anyway. They're all orbiting. And so you can do slow orbits in, in an aircraft, uh, like a little fixed-wing airplane, with a camera system on it, like a helicopter that is geostabilized, uh, run a camera person in there as well, and you could do basically the same thing for a lot less of the cost. 
Um, but it's not as sexy as a helicopter. It's not as sexy to say, hey, we have uh, hel- we have uh, Airplane 7 flying high above the scene. I'll tell you what, I don't care what it is. If you have something that the other that the others do not, you have an advantage. I completely agree. And I, you know, there there were times I, I it as a split shift is when I was doing morning traffic like John and then flying in the helicopter in the afternoon. And I, I didn't actually when I when I was doing it at the time I didn't mind it too much. There's nothing like going to the grocery store at nine thirty in the morning because there's nobody there. It's it's actually pretty nice. Yep. Uh, or the gym or whatever. Yep. Um, but I probably wouldn't like it as much now because I like being with my kids in the afternoon and go picking them up from school at three thirty, and that's when I would have probably have to head back over to the helicopter for an afternoon shift. And so it's nice to be home when they're home and be uh, at work when they're at school. So. That, that part works out for me anyway. All right, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, we received a voicemail from a loyal listener from Greg, and this time he wanted to comment on the story we talked about where he went through uh, the top DOT overhead sign safety messages. Well, Greg has his own contribution to the show. Here it is. Yes, you call- <laughs> No, you didn't call me, but you did request highway safety road signs the signage that could change the way people drive best sign we've ever used in the state of colorado after of course udot used it is camp in the mountains not in the left lane just brilliant camp in the mountains not in the left lane rock on guys keep up the good show have an awesome day there you go camp in the mountains not in the left lane Best advice I've gotten all day. Thanks, I hear, Greg. I hear that complaint a lot. Left lane campers. I got a few more emails about it this week. I actually saw one the other day here in Denver. It read, against speeding tickets, raise your right foot. <laughs> not bad. Not great. Not bad at all. Not bad. Not great. I don't know, but it was okay. But if you have an idea for a safety message uh, that you would like to share with us, here's that phone number, 303-832-0217. Jason, I didn't hear that. 303-832-0217. A little bit louder now. No, you can, you can call it. Uh, 303-832-0217. <laughs> uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks to John for uh, popping on the program. Appreciate it. We'll see about uh, who we're going to have on next week. I, I actually contacted Sarah from our Tampa station. And she said she wasn't available this week, but maybe next week she's uh, uh, traveling because, you know, she's a big shot deal. But she did say when I wrote to her that she uh, has checked out the show. She has listened to the show, uh, which is a good sign. It's a beautiful thing. So some folks know that we're out there, but they're not sending me back some feedback, which I wish they would. Anyway, that's what the phone number is for. Yeah, 303-832-0217. There you go. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm Carnival Barker, Joseph Peters. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.